0: My guest today has over 30 years experience in the voiceover industry, working on games, music and television. He has worked on key titles for Activision, such as Mech Warrior 2, Asteroids and Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Much more recently, he has set up his own direction company for voiceover, music and TV and has worked on a number of key titles going forward. However, the reason he is here today is because he's also the voice director for Shenmue 3. My guest today is Bill Black. Welcome to the dojo, Bill. How are you on this very hot Wednesday in the UK?
1: Well, greetings from uh, West Hollywood, California. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent.
0: Um, I'm pleased I finally got you on the show. This is this is an interview I've been waiting to get done for quite a while since uh, we've been talking for a, f- a few weeks. Um, and I know you've moved, etc. But I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this one. So are you ready?
1: I'm ready when you are.
0: Super. So my first question is one that I do with everybody that get on the show is, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about your career, so how you came into the voiceover industry and how you became a voice director. Well,
1: it's an interesting question. It was um, not intentional. Uh, I worked in the music industry and in the technical side of the music industry, which back in the late 1980s was very strong into the um, 80s computer music and I had a knack for Atari computers and Cubase. And through my um, knowledge of that, I ended up working at Steinberg Soft and Hardware Gambia, but I worked in the U.S. office. And I was originally contacted by Activision Studios back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, on how to get their music files to play properly without all these glitches. And oddly, through that, they led me into the uh, work doing sound effects design and general audio work because they felt, well, you know, he just knows audio. He could work in video games. And unbeknownst to me, I started teaching myself how to do sound design through games. And then as an engineer, I was recording dialogue for video games. And at one point, I think around 95, 96 Uh, The game producer said, hey, look, you you know, you can't just record him. You've got to, you know, get a good performance out of him. And lo and behold, I became a dialogue director. But actually through the years, I came to produce dialogue and hired other directors. I watched how other directors work and I liked a lot of their work. And others, I thought, nah, it's just come on. You're, You're spending all your time talking. You're not supposed to be talking. The actor is. And I eventually segued into doing VO directing. By about 1997, 98, I was just doing all my own productions pretty much. And within that area, the same company said, look, you know, we've got these, uh, you've done this nice mix for the English movie, but now we've recorded it in French and Italian, German and Spanish, Korean, Japanese. So can you come back and remix the, the video games and put put the foreign language in which got me into the localization area which is a whole subworld of video games unto itself and that's a, i know that's a long answer to the question but that's basically how i got into it
0: no i like the long answer cuz i think think the fans would uh, would you know, like that sort of background i certainly do so as you sort of become more Sort of involved in the industry, can you sort of talk me through some favorite projects, favorite actors or characters that you've worked with in your time?
1: Oh, absolutely, I've had a lot of fun. Um, Mech Warrior Two: Clan Ghost Bear is my most memorable because that is technically the first video game that I um, really directed. And a few others that stand out were, I was the producer, but I also did some directing on Neverwinter Nights. And I love the main character, Arabeth. I'll never forget that it took months to record. Um, I did casting for World of Warcraft, the Burning Crusade and many other things in their franchise. Uh, Some of my favorite characters came out of uh, Lineage 2 Revolution, the original PC version I did because I cast and directed the game, but it was a made up language. There is no English, no Definitive language. They created their own, you know, that harkens to like a uh, way back when they came created Klingon, for example. And I, I found that really interesting. Um, trying to think Civilization 3 Call to Power. That was that was good fun because of just the epic title in, in and of itself. Ah, uh, Let's see. More recently, Grand Chase, Dimensional Chaser was hilarious. Brand new characters from scratch. It was originally done in Korean, but they, you know, did a script for the U.S. And I absolutely love some of the characters, especially the one that wore a duck on his head. I can't remember, but it was it was incredible. Um, And uh, an interesting thing came up, not in the video game area, but because of my sound design and music background, uh, my good friend Paul came to me and said, look, I, I've made a few passes at this and I'm, apparently I'm not getting it and I'm buried in work. He says, can you just quickly do the theme that opens and closes the Tokyo Stock Exchange? And I was, as you English say, gobsmacked. And <laughs> I, I created the sound effect in I think 2000 that opens and closes the Tokyo Stock Exchange. And then my friend Paul, you know, polished it up and went and did the mix, but I actually created that with him. That was good fun uh at that same year again it wasn't in the game genre but i worked with a friend of mine Jafar, on a very interesting ahead of its time animation i did the sound design uh called gina and tl and i didn't know it for years later but we won a sundance film festival pick in 2001. i mean it's a great honor i just nobody told me and somebody came to me and said you know that thing you did that got a Sundance and I go, really? And I looked it up in the internet and they are absolutely right. I did casting on Delta Force Black Hawk Down. I thought that was cool because I'm not generally a first-person shooter uh, in the world of directing, definitely a player. That's another one that comes to mind. Um, needless to say, I think probably Bravely Default, Flying Fairy, that was, just, that was a really enjoyable game to cast and direct. As well as Lineage 2 Revolution, the mobile version that came out some 10 years later, the guys in um, Korea said, you, you got to get the original guy. The original guy directed it and they tracked me down. And so I got to do the uh, L2R uh, for the, uh, I think, I don't know the devices it came out on, but it became a mobile game. I think it was Android and iOS. Uh, Those are the ones that just off the top of my head come to mind. I'm sure there's others that have a lot of meaning to other people, but that one was uh, particularly enjoyable uh, of those ones I mentioned.
0: Brilliant. And it sounds like you worked across a breadth of genres, titles, and also between music games and the Tokyo Stock Exchange one. That's that's a really cool one. (laughs) me sad for liking it that much but i think it's a really cool claim to fame
1: oh thank you so much i think it's on my website too the film and all that i you know i don't know if they still use it my friend paul was in tokyo uh and he went and and listened and he says they still play it and that was at least five six seven years ago something like that you know i've been to tokyo in the last few years at least three times and i've never gotten over to the exchange uh because i have other things to, more interesting to do than go to the stock the nikkei but uh Yeah, it's very interesting. Anyway, anybody can see it. It's on my website.
0: Excellent. And speaking of Japan, obviously, you were the voice director of a very well-known franchise, as we, well, my community would say, Shenmue 3. But I want to take it back a little bit. Um, When did you first come across Shenmue as a franchise? Did you play it in the original Dreamcast days, or did you pick it up later on?
1: Well, uh, I had a friend of mine who was a fanatic, played it on Dreamcast, and I'd heard about it. And it's really a cult game, which I think is very cool. I think I almost have more respect for cult movies and games sometimes in the mainstream ones. Um, but to answer your question, no, I did not play it uh, when it came out. I didn't have a Dreamcast. I had a PlayStation 1. That's really was what I was on to. And I actually had an Atari Jaguar uh, that was a kind of an ill-fated game console, too. I played that one about... Uh, Uh, as a predecessor to getting my PS1. So I heard about the franchise, or I should say, I started getting interested in it when it seemed to be coming across, uh, originally just for my opinion, to give my written opinion on, um, you know, how to go about doing it. Uh, Well, I ended up purchasing the PlayStation port. So I have Shinmu 1 and 2 on my PS4. and that's the first time I actually started playing it.
0: And how did you find the games when you actually got into playing them?
1: Well, they were they were clearly I don't want to say dated in a negative sense, but they were of that they were very much of their generation and of that style. It was it was really interesting, uh, and I had become accustomed to it because early in the computer days I had played the um, text only video games. You know, you see a key on a table, that type of thing, and and I felt like the the, the point where Shinmu one and two were coming out, where the mindset was the same, but you were actually able to physically interact. So I started playing one and two. I my perspective was more to learn the story than maybe the mechanics of the gameplay. And uh, but as far as the mechanics of the gameplay, to this day, I find those forklifts maddening. The the forklifts tr- drive me nuts. <laughs>
0: And why do they drive you and say don't mind my asking?
1: Well, because it's like a wall. You can't really move past this point in the game until you learn how to proficiently race a forklift. And there's a, there's a story about it. Um, so I, I had actually gone on about the forklifts and it's all forgotten. And when I was recording it, this had gotten back to Yu Suzuki. So right in the middle of a session, he just taps my shoulder and says, look at this. And he had had the Unreal Engine open with a warehouse full of forklifts. And uh, it, it's just, it's always been a thing with me, Shenmue and the forklifts.
0: When he showed you that, did it send a shiver down your spine?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, seeing, seeing the Shenmue universe in the Unreal Engine, uh, how do you say it? When he had the tools at his disposal to put what was in his head actually on the screen so you could interact with Shenmue exactly the way he visualized it in his mind uh, because of the advancements in technology over the last 20 years. That's, that's kind of what, what was awe-striking, one of the elements that made it awe-striking. But yet it still had its classical nature and uh and uh rohazuki still had a bandage on his cheek
0: yes very true it's all that that continuity which i think the fans appreciated quite a lot i'm um, so coming back a little bit you, you mentioned that you were originally came across Shenmue 3 when you were asked for your sort of professional opinion on the on how to record the voiceover. how did that sort of come about and then how did it accelerate from being asked for a, for a professional opinion to you actually working on the game itself
1: well, that was a series of people involved. I was just one gear in this machine. I was approached, I worked for a corporation at the time, and they were approached about this because there's a substantial amount of dialogue in all Shenmue series, particularly in three. And there's actually some reasoning behind that. I'm just going to digress a minute. When Rohazuki replies, to anything or ask something. It's a unique sound file. So his legendary, I see, was not recorded once, twice, or three times, hundreds and hundreds of times. So each time Rohazuki speaks, it's just like a real person because it's a different physical recording. So that made for a very large game. On top of that, there were a substantial amount of NPC characters, some of them very chatty and some of them just the brief bits and pieces from the vendors. So this was a large, very high volume dialogue game, very high, as we say in the business, a high line count, a high word count and a high character count. So the only thing that wasn't high was the budget. And. I was approached saying, look, you know, they got to get this thing done for next to nothing. And I looked at the numbers and said, that's impossible. I, this, this is not even realistic. And they came back with some quote actors unquote in Japan and said, look at, they can get these guys real cheap. And I listened to the recordings and I said, yeah, because they're not actors, they're quote doing voices. And it's it's clear and obvious. So, after that point, it just kind of disappeared off my desk. I moved on to other things. Uh, and at some point, other people had intervened. When I met Ryan Payton, who is uh, such a key factor in the Shin, whole Shinmu 3 uh, evolution, he had mentioned a conversation he had with Yu Suzuki about how atrocious the one and two voiceover was. And it actually has become kind, kind of a joke if you check YouTube. He, he said, actually, that, that you was in tears because he had just mocked how garbage it was and why there was absolutely no logical reason to repeat this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he told me. He, always consider Ryan for the source of, this, of that info. It ended up that a budget was, was had. And then I was handed the script and the budget and said, make it so. And that's how I came on to the project.
0: So as sort a of follow-up to that is obviously, you quite rightly said, the budget for Shenmue 3 was constrained across the board, not just for the voiceover, I mean, for the de- general development as it was a Kickstarter project. So how did you balance getting top quality or the best quality that you could and the massive amount of dialogue that's in that game?
1: Well, there were several factors. First of all, I had to find a recording studio that had two rooms so I could record simultaneously because there's no way one person could, in a linear fashion, record the entire thing by the deadline. So I brought on Chris Bevins, a actor, director, sync writer, and writer from Texas who had recently moved to Los Angeles. And I got him involved in dealing with the kind of, he was the vendor guy and took care of so much of the NPC work. And he really, I mean, he really just made everything special. He just found as many great actors as he could to do these small parts. So it really stood out. He was well aware of the fact that, you know, this, the previous iterations of, of Shenmue just really were lacking in quality. So he was a very major component in being able to get it done on time. So you have two directors in two studios recording simultaneously eight to 10 hours a day. That's how we did the, uh, meet, met the deadline. As far as the budget went, uh, I basically employed actors that could do multiple voices. You could never tell, but they do multiple voices and do a lot of coverage in a short amount of time. Also, I take a tremendous amount of care in casting. That was a, That is a large portion of my time in advance of recording. So when the actors in the studio, there's no surprises, we all know what we're doing and we just get it done.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for that. And out of interest, how long were you given to record the lines and the dialogue for Shenmue 3?
1: If I'm not mistaken, and I think it was, I want to say I did this in 2018. So it's all, I mean, it's, it's, it's recent as far as release goes, but I actually started working on this in 2018, I believe. But I think we took four months to get it done. And that's both of us working together. Chris, Chris worked about three months and then I was on my own the last two. So I think it took four months to get it done. I was also doing another game at the same time in working evenings. It was, it's, so it's all kind of a blur.
0: Four months doesn't sound like a very long time, quite frankly. How, in a normal circumstance, how long would you want for a game with dialogue that, that large?
1: I would have preferred uh, five to six months. Uh, with some maybe some breaks in the middle to stop and catch up on various things. Uh, We didn't have that. So I put together a plan in advance that had to address... A couple of directors working on the same script can be very challenging, but uh, Chris really gets it. So we had to deal with that to cram the time together. And we also had another area that was very interesting. And uh, I think I've given you some film where I discuss it, but Shinmu 3 as as you know 1 was Japan and 2 I believe was Hong Kong and 3 was on the on the mainland and the characters had proper chinese names and uh Yu Suzuki and team did some amazing research and one thing that I'm a real stickler for is pronunciation so another element that that really helped myself and Chris is we had someone who 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 could look at the um Chinese names spelled out in Roman letters, uh, Ping Ying, I think it's called, I'm not certain on that and gave us the pronunciation for every single character so we had not only the correct pronunciation but we also had continuity throughout the game so there's a recording of Zhao and if the name is Zhao every actor has played the audio sample Zhao and says it accordingly, that was another thing that cut down on time so that we weren't constantly going how do I pronounce this uh, because you know, Chinese is is very much like French. It sounds nothing like it's spelled. And that that was another thing that that, that helped us in managing time.
0: Excellent. And I note from the and just for the guys who are listening, Bill's very kindly given us some footage behind the scenes. And there's one bit of footage where um Corey is being taught how to say um a wow, if I remember correctly. Um, and you're going through each syllable to make it sound the same each time. And I imagine that's the sort of process that the actors would have been following to make sure you're getting that continuity. Is that, is that correct?
1: Absolutely correct. We had, uh, we had files of, of a person pronouncing the name, and that was the defining file. So the engineer would pull up the recording, the little uh, wave clip that says, this is how you say uh, joe. Zhao, and then they'd hear it and the actor would parrot it and the pronunciation would have continuity throughout the entire game.
0: Fantastic thank you thank you for that detail on that Um, you've mentioned casting again which obviously helped you meet the deadline you got some voice actors in that could do multiple voices so it saved you time budget etc can you talk me through sort of your casting process for Shenmue 3 obviously we had Brianna came in for Shenhua um, we had Greg Chung come in as Wren, um, replacing Eric Kelso. Could you sort of talk me through the casting process for, for those characters?
1: Yes, um, I was a bit on my own. The company I worked for at the time was based in the Seattle area. So I was a remote worker before it was cool. And and I, I've had decades of experience. So once it was determined what we were going to cast and have the developer listen to in other words sign off on this actor for this character versus the other characters is it's you're on your own pick whoever you think is best that's where we that's where we divided it up so i requested reads from actors that i knew were well suited for that role so i would i would go through and i would select a character and then i would select some sample lines that covered what i like to call the arc of the character i'll give you an example the character cries and is despondent in this part, and the character is silly in another part, and the character is dead serious. So I try to get a sample of the arc of the character as as that character develops and, and emotes a certain way. Then I would pick actors I feel were great for the role, and I would ask them to read, and then we would run through them with the development team, and they'd say, oh, that guy. That guy's perfect for the role. Um, I did that for every role except uh, oh, what is this crazy little Gollum-like character? Oh, shy. Yeah, Shy, I just said, there's one guy who's going to do it, trust me. And they all agreed, he was brilliant. Um, Lucian Dodge, as soon as I gave him the role, he says, oh yeah. yeah, I know why you gave me that one, Bill. Yeah, it was great. But for that's how we did the primary characters. And then the secondary and tertiary were selected by myself and uh, Bevins, because we both, had our eyes on certain actors and we had to divvy them up It's like, Oh no, you can't use that, that one. I'm using that one for this. Oh, okay. Well, be sure you don't hire this person. Cause I've got them for these role and that role. So we kind of had a lot of preparation in hand. So we had to cover the casting in advance, primary, secondary and tertiary roles had to make sure that me and Bevins didn't double up on the same person because we know a lot of the same actors. And then I just went through and had to think and picked people that I thought were terrific. And then there was a few actors that um, uh, you'd never saw me here, but I got to be in Shenmue 3. So I had a few voiceover celebrities you'll never find out here that just wanted to be in the game because they were such huge fans when, you know, 20 years back when it was on Dreamcast. So that kind of was a potpourri of how how we did it. And then it was getting down to uh, uh, getting them in. Now, obviously, it was simple. Um, uh, uh, clearly Corey was going to reprise this role as a uh, uh, Ro, and I had been talking to him months in advance he was he was quite ready to go and then chinois was very important uh Brianna got the role she was magic she was chinois as soon as I heard her read I knew she's just got that right she's had that right thing you know you can't you really can't put it in words it's just it's chemistry and it's magic. And, and you could see it when you see Xinhua and Ro speaking, say in some of the cinematics, you know, immediately there's no question she is Chinois. She uh, um, and that's really how I came about doing it. There's a couple other factors, first of all. Um, I was unaware of the fact that certain characters outside of, of Ro Hazuki had become near and dear to the players. And I was also told, look, you're a hollywood pro you've been doing this for decades i want professional actors you got to get me pros and i said of course that's all i'll use in the game and that's how uh we segue into the eric kelso thing i was really unaware that he was even in the game i i was just told that the people who did Shinmu one and two were just people anybody who could speak english with a pulse anywhere near Tokyo got to come in and read. So later on, I understood that that was quite a bit of a disappointment for um, some of the fans on why I didn't use him specifically. Well, I was instructed to use LA-based actors, and I also was unaware of the significance he as an actor had contributed to the original uh, one and two franchise so that's a question i get often i frankly i didn't even know but then then again this game didn't have a lot of time
0: no no i mean four months as you say to record the the pile of dialogue that you had is is, is crazy in itself the eric question is was one that's come up for a long time since um i think it was 2019 there was a leak in walmart believe it or not <laughs> um a small clip came up of ren tapping real on the shoulder and Shenmue fans being Shenmue fans clocked that it wasn't Eric House, so I think we'd assumed it wouldn't be anyway, um, and I think that's where people first got a taste of it. And Greg Chun did a really good job as Ren. I thought he captured Ren's sort of arrogance, cockiness, that sort of bravado really nicely. Um, I really enjoyed um, Greg's performance there, but I know there were certain fans that were disappointed not to see Eric come back. And is it fair to say you've had
1: quite a bit of criticism for it? (laughs) I've had exceptional amounts of criticism. One of the things too is because I've been, I've been asked and I've answered the question several ways. Uh, There were, there are really three factors. One, I had no clue who this guy was. Uh, Wasn't even on my radar. Uh, Number two, I was told to use professionals at work in Los Angeles and Uh, Another, uh, and a third element too is, and this one, a lot of people just really think I'm a terrible for having this attitude, but you can't be a deep sea diver in Kansas. If you want to be a professional voice actor, this is where it's done. It's not done. It's not done to this degree outside of uh, the greater Los Angeles area or the Dallas Fort Worth area. That's pretty much for us English. That's pretty much the ground that it's done on. So he was never on my radar and uh, I really, uh, I'm sorry if people didn't appreciate it. You know, the, I hope people can. I should say, I hope people can appreciate the fact this just never even was discussed. It was a, it was a blank role. Ref, you know, fill all the roles except obviously Corey's going to do Roja again. And I, I heard about it after the project was completed.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair, and I, I appreciate your honesty, Bill, of, of sort of talking us through that because I think the what the biggest thing I think in the community was people didn't understand why, but. I think your answer covers that very very nicely so thank you for for your honest sort of feedback on that. My next question sort of leads into recording itself can you talk me through the recording process of Shenmue 3 itself how lines were recorded for example was it one line one take Uh, were Rio and um, Shenhua's lines done together so Corey and Brianna how was it all done
1: well, first of all, we, we kind of divided up the script, uh, we did a sort in Excel, so you kind of get an idea of uh, how many lines each person has. You, you need that if for another reason than to know how many hours you're going to need to use them. So we pretty much broke it down by uh, obviously Urohazuki followed by Shenhua had the majority of lines and then the, the other primary characters. And once that was done, the, uh, the, the, was, the challenge was the pronunciation. I discussed that in an earlier question. We had to get that right. I'm a real stickler. So the assistant was physically in the, all recording sessions and spoke the Chinese and could voice the correct pronunciation. And once we had that worked out, we looked at the cinematics. We looked at the video that uh, we call it lip flap. In other words, when it needs to be dubbed, in time with the animation. So we cut it down to that. And at that point, we looked at who was in these videos and who would be great to have together. It's, it's a lot to do with time and, and financial budget. The concept is ensemble recording. There's a lot of great animation that's all recorded at once with all the actors in the same studio with their own mics and headphones doing their lines. And it's terrific because they can interact with each other kind of harkens back to Shakespeare when you, you're on the original uh, on stage performance where you get to see a play and you get to see the characters act off of each other. But due to even the line count, you have to have an actor, something takes four hours to record and the one actor has only seven lines. You don't wanna have them there for four hours for that short seven lines. So ensemble recording, it was really not an option for us due to time and financial budget. However, in certain scenes, I felt it so critical. So I brought in Rohazuki's character, Corey, and uh, Shawwa's character, Brianna, and had them record their lines together in the studio because it just added that extra bit of magic. Outside of that, people do it on their own. And this is one of the remarkable things about voice actors. You can listen to two actors, two characters, talk to each other, performed by two different actors. And it sounds like they were both in the room talking at the same time. That's part of their magic. That's part of their craft, their skill, their incredible ability to carry on a one sided conversation. And then the other person three weeks later may come in and record their their other half of the conversation. But when you're seeing it in context of the performance, you'd never have a clue. And that I really have to commend the skill and the talent and craft of the voice actors, because that's what they do and and it's really it's really amazing so we had a mixture of ensemble recording uh solo recording and uh dubbing to picture recording as well as just reading lines you asked me one line one take i do have a technique uh i really think i, I it, well a director that i worked with in the 90s once said look if you can't decide which take in the studio while you're directing you're not ready to direct yet. So if it takes 10 reads, I do 10 reads. If they get it in the first one, I move on to the next line because if it's right, it's right. And uh, that's how I pretty much recorded it. And that's, of course, approach was very helpful when considering how little time we had to, uh, to create this and maintain quality. So I'd rather have one quality take than just uh, just a ton of stuff to sip through that's just mediocre because we're just trying to get all these alternate versions and whatnot
0: brilliant thank you for that and obviously now in the digital age with scripts as large as they are you can change change things on the fly so were you able to change any little bits in the script as you're going along say like a translation wasn't quite there or there was um, certain language that wouldn't have been used back in the 80s were you able to do all of that as well so on on the fly and recording
1: absolutely i do that with most every game oftentimes there's just grammatical mistakes uh sometimes there's translator mistakes where they leave uh the the source language in there and suddenly a japanese word pops up in the case of Shinmu, we that was you know that was typical it's typical of most games and there's a actor i work with named mona marshall she's on the tv show south park she says you know bill we don't all start out as writers but we all eventually become writers one of the things that stuck out in Shinmu to me was the the story as all the fans know takes place in the late 1980s and and it's not Shinmu 3 is not 20 years later it's it's it happens after Shinmu 2 and as a result you have to have the parlance of the times and there were a few places that perhaps a younger translator that wasn't around in the 80s realized that that didn't exist one of the things was that's so emo and it's like well yeah exactly but uh, my chemical romance wasn't around in uh, 1987 so uh i had to go back and find out well what what was what would be similar to that back then oh i remember new romantic that was the music that was you know that would be the musical analogy that would have made sense back then and so there were some things that just either that didn't exist in the 80s that we had to go back in or something and make it sound some of the slang a little more 80s um because there was you know there was slang of the 80s and then slang like anything else progresses so we did quite a bit of that too and that was really fun and and of course, it was demonstrative of my age as well, because that because uh, I knew the eighties far too well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with knowing the eighties so well. To be fair, I was born in the eighties, but hey ho. Um, one of the biggest compliments I can I can pay testament to actually with the Shenry Three voiceover is it fits like a glove. It doesn't feel like it was recorded twenty years later. So that's you know. Thank, you know, congratulations and thank you for getting that sort of shenmue feel to it. Cause I think that's one thing we can all agree on that it just, it fits perfectly. Within the brief, were you given certain instructions as to how they wanted it? So it gave some continuity from Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2 and then taking that into Shenmue 3 itself?
1: There wasn't a lot. Obviously I, had, I, was, I asked everybody for any suggestions uh, that I could have possibly gotten. I would have preferred to spend a week with uh, with uh, Ryan if I could have, but uh, that wasn't um, an option. So uh, I did the best I could to play the game and to read what I could. I also think that the crafting of the script in the source language, Japanese, it, it flowed downstream to keep it there. So I really, I think I have to give an awful lot of credit to the original writer in the source language. And then again, to the people who adapted it and localized it into English, I think that was was an instrumental part in in keeping it shinmu, shinmu, if you please. That was really a lot of it. And then the rest of it was, um, you know, obviously with Corey Marshall is Rohazuki. In him being there, just kind of gave you that warmth and kind of tied it all together. And I think a lot of people fed off of his performance and felt like, okay, that's that's the main guy that I am interacting with. And they kind of uh, mirrored the vibe that he brought to it. That's that's how I felt it, uh, it worked so well. It, it's hard to articulate certain creative things because when it works, it works. It's like a beautiful piece of music. I mean, you can sit down and go, well, the violin played that and the bass played that, but it's just sometimes there's just magic in the studio that's difficult to put into language it's just when you get a a very passionate very experienced voice actors together with a product that they love it just pours out of them and that's kind that's really what happened with Shenmue 3
0: um so talking about the recording process do you have any favorite moment moments from recording like any any funny moments funny
1: funny stories oh we had some great fun um the most the most magic was the first two days when Yu Suzuki was in the room that's pure magic uh having the guy sitting next to you, uh, that, that, that this was a concept in his head decades ago, and it became three games. So that, that's pretty awe-inspiring uh, right off the bat. And he was, he was very, very helpful. He was chatty at times, quiet at other times. And having him actually showing us, he, he had uh Shenmue 3 in Unreal with a, a game controller on his computer. In fact, I, I sent you some footage of uh, you of uh, um, you and uh, Corey actually playing playing the game, and having having getting being able to see it and talk to you about it. Uh, we I had a translator there. I'm I'm not. I speak some Japanese, but I'm not fluent. Uh, we had a translator there, so we are really able to just to really see how he felt about about it. So the first day we had Shenhua and uh, Ro in the studio doing cinematics, that was that was probably the most magical thing. There were some hilarious times as well, because I'd have poor Cory in there. And sometimes he had like 17 pages of, I see. And can you tell me where I could find some 50 year old wine? And it'd be like just dozens of the same lines over and over again. I thought that was kind of funny. So we, uh, we got a little tired at times after we finished a chapter, we'd play another one bites the dust. And, uh, I remember the engineer was wacky. There was a, there's a thing where he talks about where you go fishing, right? And he talks about the fishing wharf, which is obviously right. So it's a wharf where you go fishing. So every time he said fishing wharf, he'd put a picture he found of a fisherman with Star Trek's Worf's head on it on the screen and Corey would bust up. Oh, it was really something. One of my favorite things was recording Chai with, uh, uh, with Lucian. that was absolutely fun. Um, listening. I wasn't at the session cause I was doing other things, uh, other parts of the game, but having, um, uh, the hot dog vendor, uh, Bill butts was just hilarious. I really enjoyed that. I should send you a video. I've got, Corey and bill dancing in the studio so there there it was there was just the whole thing was really enjoyable but off the top of my head that's that's all i can come up with at the moment matt but it was there was a lot of fun moments and a lot of tiring moments but uh, we got it done
0: i can imagine especially over four months cranking out eight to ten hour days certainly deserve um a beer or beverage of your choice after that and so, what's it like working with Yuzuki? And I know you said he was only with you for a few days. How long would you have wanted him to be around if it was possible?
1: All four months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but that's four months in LA. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? It was absolutely impractical. But uh, having him there, uh, first of all, just just the um, kind of the emotional boost of having the guy who created Shinmu sitting next to you, talking to you. I was able to speak to him uh, in some in Japanese. Uh, and I remember when he says, I, I gotta go. And I go, which is why and the whole room busted out laughing. Um, cause I was sad he had to go, but I really, I really enjoyed working with him. I really, it was great watching him play the game that he created before it was released. Uh, I, I, it's really, it's really hard to say. We, I got to explain to him my approach on how it was done. He got to meet Obviously, he got to see Corey again. He got to meet uh, Brianna and a few of the other primary actors during his time there. He got to see our process and how it was done. He got to read along in Japanese as we did the English. So I, I think that that was really, that was the the, the spark. He added the spark that started the, the the fire that led to these four months of just relentless work to try to bring, to try to put Shenmue 3 uh to make it what it was what it turned out got what we wanted. It we felt like it was a continuation that it wasn't 20 years later. It was just like the next production in line. And having him there was really the catalyst for that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine and for fans who were probably following some of this on Twitter back when recording was happening, um a tweet came out, I think it was off Yuzuzuki's Twitter. I can't quite I have to check it and remember. But there's a photo of yourself, uh Yuzuki and Corey. Um fists up in the studio looking ready to go i think that just sort of sums up a little bit that magic for me which is really nice to see and obviously you've given us some really nice behind the scenes footage which for our youtube listeners you will be seeing some of it through this podcast and also i'm going to attach it to the end of this as well so you can hear and see and everything that was going on behind the scenes it's a really nice insight to how things were done so i want to move on to sort of post-production post-recording You've wrapped on the voiceover, you're done, and the four months are up. What was your involvement after the recording had finished?
1: Um, the during the recording, and that was a that's a really difficult situation. During the recording, I sent the material out. The corporation I worked for had some exceptional editors, primarily in Europe, that were supposed to be doing the editing on this, but they in turn sent it to an extremely Good hearted, but horribly inexperienced and inadequate editor. And there was a substantial amount of mistakes made. And to this day, some great material never ended up in the game. Incorrect material was sent instead. And I spent weeks trying to sort this mess out because they just mislabeled a substantial amount of the uh, material. But that was a decision made by the company I was employed by that really just really doesn't. Understand um, the importance of post production. So that was a difficult part. That was probably the most negative element of the game for me. And I got as much of it as I could going the way I wanted it. But there were some great performances that never made it into the game, and the incorrect actor was used in the game. So uh, there was, uh, early on in the production, uh, two of the uh, actors that I work with regularly said, they were huge Shenmue fans, and they said, "Did you did you hear this?" And I said, "No, that's being recorded in the other studio." So, on Super Bowl Sunday, the three of us sat down with a bunch of pizza, and we listened to every single performance of of every actor without knowing who it was, and we weeded out stuff that we thought was not fitting for Shenmue, and we were able to remove, replace, and re-record most all of it, but a few. Bad bits made their way into the game, but there's little I can do about it now. So that's kind of the that was that's kind of a negative story. But that's really what happened afterwards. All the all the primary and secondary characters were fine, but some of the tertiary characters, unfortunately, I couldn't get that material into the game,
0: which is a shame. But I don't think it impacts the quality too much. But like you say, when you're going through that effort of identifying the ones that aren't quite right, re-recording it, sending it off, and it's not in the game, I can I would be frustrated with it if I was in your shoes directing that i would definitely be a very frustrated man and sort of i know this is going back do you do you remember roughly how much of um how much was re-recorded or um, um would it just be a sort of stab in the dark at an answer
1: no no i think i think actually i think we came up with almost 30 characters we re-recorded we didn't like them they weren't good wow yeah Yeah, they just weren't, they weren't actors. See, both of the people that I sat down, I'm a director and I sat down with a a, a veteran actor, uh, two veteran actors. One of them was a huge Shenmue fan and had played. So uh, in other words, the ears that were on this were very serious. And we just said, this is garbage. We're not, we can't have this in the game. And so we cut it out and replaced them and then a couple of them made their way through due to incompetent editing, and uh, that's, again, a sad situation, but uh, we did the best we could.
0: No, Absolutely, and 30 characters is quite a substantial amount, so I, I, yeah, the effort that you've gone to is is, is really something else is above and beyond, especially when you consider that you're on a very, very strict budget to begin with. So thank you for sort of giving us an insight into the post-production and how that worked. So sort of going into Shenmue 4, possibly, if we get it, I'm touching what to I say it, that we hopefully do get it would you like a like to work on shenmue 4 and b what would you do differently if you were to come back and work on shenmue 4
1: well if there is a shenmue 4 i absolutely would love to do it um and if that happened having having full control of the production would allow me um to do better time budgeting And and more pre-production because I would have no other duties distracting me as I'm no longer an employee of a corporation. I just do games on my own now. Uh, That would be that would be the difference. And another thing that would be really great is um, and I know there's people who could facilitate me yourself and Adam Korolek and Ryan and others. I'd love to hear anything, any input from the people who made Shenmue, who it was, the, the fan base, the user base, the players. That would be a really good place to start for input. Brilliant.
0: And yeah, if that ever happened, I'd be more than happy to do it, but I'm biased. But um, so what, if you were asking the fans for input, what would you be looking for? What sort of input would you want from them?
1: Well, there's in- input that I would want. I mean, input needs to go to the game designers and game developers too, uh, as far as the gameplay element goes. But uh, from the voiceover and character development, it would be very interesting uh, to see what they, you know, what they're looking for, what they like, what they dislike, things of that nature. I mean, we got a good idea of what they thought of one and two. Uh, now after digesting three would have, would love to know what you think of that would you know um, maybe they want to uh, uh, have more development done on some of the tertiary characters maybe they want eric Kelso back I don't really know it's just really a matter of gathering that data and seeing what uh, people's feelings are on that
0: would you be having Eric Kelso on Speed Dive? Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> He'll never forgive me, though. I've never met him. Uh, somebody actually went out and re-recorded a, mo- a video from Shinmu 3 with him dubbing the voiceover. He, he should... He should get a hold of me one day. We should, we should have an email exchange. I assume he's still in Tokyo.
0: He is. He's still in Tokyo. Um, personally did it is w- the other half of the dojo ownership with a few, um, few other fans who know Eric personally and sort of got him to do it. Cause he was quite happy to give it a go and he seemed to quite enjoy it. So he's still in Tokyo and he's still, I think he's still active and um, voice recording here and there.
1: That's good to know. And, uh, hopefully he'll uh, reach out and contact me one of these days, but, uh, um, and I'd I just love to have an exchange with them. So, uh, if you're listening, Eric, uh, ego de Uh, there we go. And for the non non-flu-
0: fluent Japanese listeners, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, please, please, um, uh, I'm sorry, my Japanese isn't good, so contact me in English. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Lovely. Thanks for that, Bill. Much appreciated. So obviously you're not just the Shenmue voice director. You've done a huge amount of projects over the years. Can you talk to me about some other projects you've been working on more recently or during Shenmue 3's recording itself?
1: I just finished a game and I can talk about it. It's called Undawn. It's every actor and director's dream because it's a zombie game. And a zombie game is on the bucket list of I don't know how many people. So I finally cast and directed a zombie game. I actually did it in segments. So it started, like, I think in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And I worked on it in when I was in Marina del Rey. I worked on it when I was in Las Vegas. And I just finished it up back here in West Hollywood just some weeks ago. And they've announced it on the Internet. So I know it's okay to talk about it. That's my most recent one. Uh i'm trying to think of the last ones i've done um i worked on grand chase dimensional chaser which really was a funny game and the others i'm afraid I sh- they're just not ripe to discuss
0: nope that's fine but i'm sure there's plenty plenty more games that you've worked on in the pipeline shall we say so i'll i'll move on so i don't get you in trouble more <laughs> than anything thank else. you
1: for that I, you know nda
0: <laughs> yeah ndas the joys of ndas um so moving into my final two questions, and one I'd like to ask is for any sort of budding voice actors or directors out there, what advice would you give anybody wanting to get into the either the voice acting or voice directing industry?
1: Well, I would tell them what, what I mostly tell people. If, if um, first of all, remember that uh, voice acting is an element of being an actor. For, first and foremost, if you have the talent and you want to learn it, you are an actor. You don't do voices, you create characters. And if you're interested in it, take classes, read Sanford Meisner's book, um, learn the fact that, that it, acting can involve many things. It can be on screen, it can be animation, it can be anime, it can be video games, it can be even commercial voiceover. There's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a category with a lot of subcategories. So if you have talent, and you can get into the business. Don't be discouraged. It takes time. It's worth it. A lot of people want to be actors. And it, it's, it's a very crowded field. But if you have the talent, you can do it. If you have the talent and the patience, you can do it. Once you get somewhere, still, you can't be a deep sea ocean diver in Kansas. And you can't be an actor outside of Los Angeles if you want this to be a full-time profession. Well, maybe Dallas, but you get the general idea so uh work on it remember you don't do voices you create characters and most important if you want to be a voice actor learn how to cold read if you don't know what that is your teacher will uh will, will give that to you
0: and what about for sort of budding voice directors who want to do the other you know the other side of things the recording side of things
1: well i always i always tell them we're going to need voice actors because me and all the other ones i know are getting old one of these days we're going to have to call it quits uh here's, here's the best advice I can give anybody who's going to be a director, especially when you're an actor and you move into the role of a director. Remember to be quiet and let the actor act. They're the ones that are getting paid to talk, not us. And that is, uh, sounds very simple, but honestly that will give you, when you cast it right, let that actor go, let that ship sail and you'll generally always be very pleasantly surprised. Some of the um, uh, sessions I've done, I've said to the actor, you know, that's not what I've heard, but what you did is even better. And then, and then once they've created that character and delivered that magic, you realize it's really a team effort.
0: Brilliant, thanks for that, Phil. And then my final question, and I do this to everybody, is, is do you have a final message for the Shenmue community?
1: Oh, most definitely. They, the Shenmue community needs to know that it's you guys that made Shenmue what it is. It's the players. It's the fans. It's the super fans. Those are the ones who made it. It's it's Ryan. It's Corey. It's Adams. It's Liesl. Um, I'm humbled just to have been associated with this incredible game and the community that supports it. And it was definitely a peak moment in my career that will never be forgotten. But the community that supports it made it what it was, what it is, and what it will be. And it's really you, Suzuki, and the and the fans that, that we have to thank for being a part of that.
0: Thank you, Bill. And from the Shenmue community, I just want to say thank you for, A, doing this interview with me today and taking the time out of your day to do it, and B, is also for being a, a part of the Shenmue community by being the voice voice director of Shenmue 3. I've always said this to people who come into the community, it doesn't matter whether you're a new person to the community or you've been here for 20 years, you're all a part of this Shenmue family and you're an integral part of it. So I'd like to say thank you for all your work on Shenmue 3 and making it and the voiceover dub up as good as it was, considering... challenges that you had in getting that through the door so thank you for that bill it's on behalf of the community it's very much appreciated
1: oh thank you it was all my pleasure
0: brilliant and for everybody who is listening to this or watching this on youtube stay tuned because bill has kindly given us some behind the scenes footage which i'm going to attach to the end of this interview for everybody to watch so thank you very much everybody for taking time to listen to me the video is coming up and i will be back with another interview very very soon